the power. We have the power to create this new world, an America and a world that really does work for all of us, not some of us, not just in the United States of America. We are on one boat. We will sink together or we will sail together. We say to Donald Trump, we don't need your friggin' wall, we just need to stop invading other countries. Well, it's a shame we got Trump with this nonsense and big oil stopping progress. Hillary's telling us that it's a process, but she changed the topic because she's sitting in their pockets. Well, to me, that's not a real leader. Jill Stein for the people you can see in her demeanor. Got the Koch brothers getting scared because she cares. Sticking up for what's buried even more than Bernie's hair. Uh, and Hillary be acting fake, man. Puts some different faces while she goes from state to state. And once again, it's Mr. Trump with the hate because that's the only way that he can stay up in the race. Oh, Lord, the GOP is a disgrace. Oh, Lord, the DNC is a disgrace. Oh, Lord, the TPP is a disgrace. And we don't have to be a racist just to make our country great. Yeah, she doesn't lie to get clapped. That's why I made this rap going chapelet effects. Yeah, it's Dr. Jill with the truth. Got the young voters filling up all of the boosts. Go on, read these lyrics in the text, cause it ain't over yet. Jill for our president. I think it's time for Hillary's indictment. And to end Citizens United. Jill Stein, the catalyst, the greens ignited. Got the 99% so excited. Yeah, cause Jill speaks on every cause. It don't matter if it's popular, if it gets applause. No corruption, not even allegedly. Cause Jill's credibly preaching with integrity. So let's build a wall for Trump. Then we'll let him father John. Listen to Bill Nye, give your vote to Jill Stein. So divine, cause she's hotter than June, July. The Green Party where the future resides. Without activism, you can kiss a goodbye. Hillary won't make changes till pigs can fly. You can rewind three times just to listen back. But people will deny even when they're given facts. I blame CNN and Fox News, what they say is not true. When you check their context and framing. Cause they distract us while progress is waiting. But it's not in vain, so don't ever stop making. To repeat the same mistakes is insanity. It's Jill Stein for all of humanity. The best candidate, legalizing cannabis, corporate corruption, nah, she won't stand for it. Google Wolfpack, area change, get money out of politics, a serious game. Corrupt politicians, let's clear those who remain. Mike, check one, two, can you hear what I'm saying? Let's get excited like Curry shooting threes to make Wall Street fund our universities. The formulation of organizations bringing changes. Shout out to the mom and pops, but no corporations. No cash from ISIS or Qatar. It's just Jill folk jamming on the guitar. And no agenda WikiLeaks can reveal, so... Let's talk about a Green New Deal and discuss the issues facing all of us. No scandals, no drama. We've had enough. So don't waste your vote. Make an investment. And this election make Jill your selection. 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 And that was Jill Stein 2016 song by Zach Hanratty, which you can find on YouTube.
Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy and our revolution, the movement he helped inspire. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, PAC, or political organization. You can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find out more about this podcast, check out back episodes, and follow my links in my Bernie for President Flipboard page or Flipboard magazine. You can find all that at Bernie-2016.com. So starting out this episode is a piece from altdaily.com. And this is by Jeff Staples. Make America think again why you should consider Jill Stein. This presidential election has been the craziest I have ever seen. You just cannot make up the sort of things we have seen in this wild, sordid election cycle. Is it any wonder that 60% of Americans think that we need another political party in the United States? A vote for Jill Stein would help build such a party. The Greens have been around since 1984 and have had some limited election successes. This year, they have managed to get an all-time high number of states, 45 including the District of Columbia, that feature their candidate, Jill Stein, on the presidential ballots. This came about during an all-out effort by the Greens for ballot access across the country. Many Bernie Sanders supporters flocked to the Stein campaign after his withdrawal from the Democratic presidential race. If the Greens were to get 5% of the popular vote, they would receive federal matching funds and also automatically qualify to be on the ballot in many states for the next presidential election. This is important for two reasons. The first is that the Green Party is the only one on our ballot that does not take donations from corporations or super PACs, and the federal funds would help level the playing field. Secondly, petitioning for the ballot is very expensive and time-consuming for a party that relies on small contributions to operate and campaign. The firm establishment of the Green Party would help build a home base for progressive voters. Time and time again, progressives such as Howard Dean, Dennis Kucinich, and Bernie Sanders have been upended by the Democratic Party establishment. This year was especially contentious, with many progressives so soured by the primary and caucus process that they have not been able to reconcile with the Hillary Clinton campaign. The Republicans likewise are having deep internal rifts between the establishment and the Trump arm of the party, with many leaders of the Republican Party refusing to endorse or even vote for their presidential candidate. It appears that a schism is well underway. I am of the opinion that it is time for both of the parties to split. This would create the necessity of forming coalitions. The desired result of the coalition building would be that gridlock would be potentially dramatically reduced. We need to have people power to be able to combat the, combat the effects of the Citizen United decision. Essentially, this decision said that money equals free speech and allows for almost unlimited amounts of money to be poured into the political process by corporations, super PACs, and wealthy individuals. The people need to have greater power than these special interests. I will leave you with some questions poised by Captain Paul Watson of this, of Sea Shepherd fame. These are designed to appeal to your moral compass. Which candidate opposes fracking? Which candidate opposes Monsanto? Which one would put a stop to war without end for the U.S.? Which candidate has stood with the Standing Rock Sioux in defiance of big oil? Which candidate will be the strongest on addressing climate change? And the most important question that drives the answers to all of the others, which candidate is not being funded 
by Wall Street? The answers to all of these questions is Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party. Help us get to 5%. Help us make America think again. And this next piece is by Jill Stein, and this was published on The Hill at thehill.com. Young people are planning to break from the two-party system in unprecedented numbers this year. Their discontent is real. One May 2016 poll showed 91% of voters under age 29 wanted an independent challenger to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Media pundits have reacted harshly towards these young rebels, especially those supporting me and Ajamu Baraka, who, as progressive green candidates, are constantly framed as taking votes from Clinton. But instead of attacking our young voters, why not ask what's motivating them to vote outside the two-party box? They're well aware of the conventional wisdom that they should vote for the lesser evil, which the media has beaten into them for months. What few pundits have been willing to admit is that for many young people, voting green is not a whim, but a well-considered decision. Millennials are are disillusioned with politics and desperate to change it. For many, WikiLeaks exposing how the Democratic Party sabotaged Bernie Sanders confirmed their suspicions that the political system is rigged. They see Clinton as the embodiment of a political establishment that serves the economic elite, and they reject Trump's sexist, racist behavior and regressive platform. Gary Johnson's vision of unrestricted capitalism doesn't compute for millennials worried about climate change and income inequality. Only the Greens offer a political vision aligned with the younger generation's hunger for real change. On critical issues like education, debt, and jobs, millennials see the Greens as the one party taking their concerns seriously. Since the 2008 financial meltdown, millions of young Americans have been stuck in a low-wage, insecure economy in which good jobs and affordable health care and education are often out of reach. We are tackling their concerns with programs to guarantee jobs, education, and health care to all. Our flagship proposal is a Green New Deal to create millions of jobs in the transition to a sustainable economy. Skyrocketing tuition and student debt, now at $1.3 trillion for 43 million indebted Americans, are causing many young people to question whether they can afford higher education. This is tragic when compared to the many countries around the world that offer tuition-free higher education to give their young people a secure start in life. Our platform calls not only for tuition-free public higher education, but also for bailing out students, like our government did, for Wall Street. This would free tens of millions of young Americans from predatory student loan debt, allowing them not only to realize their own potential, but to put their training, ingenuity, and earnings to work as full participants in the real economy. Even under the Affordable Care Act, too many young people are unable to afford decent health care. A single-payer Medicare for All system, as advocated by the Greens, would ensure health care for all as a right. Roughly $500 billion in annual savings from eliminating the bureaucracy of for-profit insurance would be more than enough to expand quality health care to everyone. Skeptics ask, how can we afford it all? We can start by taxing Wall Street and cutting military spending. This message, considered out of bounds by the corporate-funded establishment parties, is resonating with young people who question why our tax dollars go to bomb other countries instead of building ours. Our energy plan aims to render obsolete the Middle East wars for oil that have cost us trillions while yielding only failed states, mass refugee refugee migrations, and worse terrorist threats. 
Millennials share a growing consciousness of the interconnectedness of social justice and human rights with economic and environmental justice. Young people support legalizing marijuana, not just for personal freedom, but also to end racist mass incarceration caused by prohibition. The Black Lives Matter and immigration justice movements are warming to the Greens' consistent support for human rights. Calls are growing to join together in a broad movement for justice rather than organizing into single-issue groups that are easy to divide and conquer. Committed to using our campaign spotlight to lift up the struggles of frontline communities, Ajamu Baraka and I have joined Native Americans at Standing Rock protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. While no other candidate has taken a stand against the militarized repression of indigenous people trying to protect their water. These sharply contrasting approaches to Standing Rock illustrate another reason why our campaign has attracted so many passionate young supporters. Authenticity. We don't hide from talking about real problems and real solutions. Anchored in the Greens' core principles of grassroots democracy, nonviolence, social justice, and ecology. Compared to Trump's opportunistic demagoguery or the cynical manipulation of the Clinton machine, many young people prefer a real, unscripted person who isn't afraid to answer their burning questions in social media live streams. In fact, millennials who plan to vote green know that if we are ever to break free from the two-party trap, the time to start building an alternative is now. Word is spreading that at least 5% of the national popular vote would qualify the Greens for up to $10 million in public funds for the 2020 election and win ballot lines throughout the country so thousands more down-ballot green candidates can run. Young green voters are talking about a national push for electoral reforms like ranked choice voting to end the downward spiral of fear-based voting. While millennials may vote Stein Baraka dreaming of a green White House, they know every vote is an investment in building a lasting movement for people, planet, and peace over profit. So that was a piece by Jill Stein. Again, that was published in The Hill. So before I go on to a couple other stories, um, I wanted to tell you a little story. I was driving home yesterday. I live in New Jersey. I was driving home from work and passed a woman on the side of the road. It's a pretty pretty busy road. It's, it's like a three-lane three not quite a highway. There's a lot of businesses alongside it, but uh, a six-lane road altogether, three, three lanes in either direction. She's standing on the side alone with a sign that said Trump and another sign, homemade, that said Make America Great Again. And I didn't have the feeling that I often have when I see a Trump sign. When I see a Trump sign in somebody's yard, normally in the yard of a very large, expensive house, I, I kind of think to myself in, with my val- embedded value judgments and say, oh, what a jerk. Because um, I disagree vehemently with most of what Trump stands for. And I wonder when I think that how much of what Trump stands for do I actually agree with? And I know it's greater than zero, but I don't know what exactly that number is. I think it's certainly, I hope it's less than 10%. Um, but when I pass this woman on the road with her signs, I thought, good for you. I, I was uplifted not by her message, but by her willingness to stand up for what she believes in and her willingness to put herself out on the front lines or on the side of the street, as it were, to express what she believes in, to stand up for what she believes in. 
And that gives me hope that despite the fact that Trump's ideas are atrocious and Trump's speech is atrocious and many of the kinds of people that Trump emboldens have negative or poor uh, opinions and beliefs when it comes to racial justice, etc. It it gives me hope that people are willing to stand up and stand out for what they believe in, even when it's not a popular thing. And that impacts us on the progressive side as much as anywhere else. It, it made me think back to when I used to live in New Hampshire. And of course, up in New Hampshire, you get all of the candidates vying for the nomination coming around to town, to the next town over. They're all over the state before New Hampshire votes in the primaries. And I remember back many years ago now when Bob Dole was running for president and he came to visit a company in the town beside mine. And I went there and I brought a sign and I stood out like this woman was standing out there for what I believed in. And my sign said, Dole supports rape. And that was specifically in reference to Bob Dole's support of the Rinamos, which were a mercenary army in Mozambique that used rape as a way to dominate and pacify their opponents. And Bob Dole supported that group and donated money directly to that group and his support. So that's what I stood out there for at that point in time. And I've had some other opportunities over the years during the second U.S.-Iraq war. I stood out on the corner, and not alone, with others in a small group and protested that war, as many of us did. So I, w- I, was, I wanted to just, you know, talk about that story and talk about what I felt, because that feeling surprised me when I saw that Trump sign, saw that woman alone on the side of the road saying, this is what I believe in. And willing to put herself out there and open herself up to whatever response anybody had. And that's what we need to do. We need to do that often. We need to find as many opportunities as we can. And that's part of what this podcast is about. This is one of the ways I can get out there and not just reach one or two or 10 or 100 people, but maybe hundreds or possibly thousands of people. But this is just from the safety of my home. You know, this is not me out there in public uh, facing direct or, or, or putting myself in a position where I have the ability and risk of getting direct feedback for what I'm standing for. Back when I was protesting Bob Dole uh, in New Hampshire, a couple of people shouted things out to me. The one I remember the most was, get a job. I had a job. I It was after work, so... Uh, but, but it's, it's really, really important what that woman was doing, despite the fact that I oppose her, her position and I oppose her statement that she was making. I don't oppose her, obviously her right. And I actually feel good that she's exercising that right. We need more of that. We need that now. We need that After the election next week, we need that every week, every month, we need to tell the people in power what we feel. 
We need to tell our fellow citizens what we feel. It's only when we reach out and make connections with each other and work together that we're able to move things forward. And I've had stories like the stories last week that uh, covered that topic as well. It's what a lot of the stories on this podcast have been and will be going forward. And the rest of this podcast today will be about a group that's beginning to get some attention that's taking that stand. But it's what we all need to do. So I won't be recording again before the election next week on Tuesday, unless something spectacular happens. Uh, This will likely be the last podcast that I put out before the election. But I will continue to put out podcasts after the election, despite the fact that this is Bernie 2016 and that uh, phase of the campaign is behind us and will be further behind us come election day on Tuesday. Um, this will move forward, uh, whether it retains its name or not, that's to be decided in the future. But since I won't be on publishing a, another podcast before the election, I think it's <clears throat> pretty clear based on the content of my podcast recently where I stand in the upcoming election on Tuesday. I will be voting for Jill Stein. I highly recommend that everyone listening do the same. I think it's extremely important to vote for what you believe in. So if you believe in what the Green Party and Jill Stein stand for, then I think you should have no reservations whatsoever in voting for Jill Stein. If you don't, then by all means, find that candidate who you believe in the most, who you think supports your ideas the best, and vote for them, whether they're on the ballot or not on the ballot. Uh, Fortunately for me, Jill Stein is coming to New Jersey, uh, pretty close to where I live this Friday. So I hope to be able to see her in person. So vote your conscience. Don't let someone else tell you how you should vote. When I turned 18 and was able to vote for the first time, and I've said this before, if you've listened from the beginning, you've probably heard me say it maybe more than once. But I promised myself then that I would never hold my nose and vote. I would never go in and mark a ballot for someone who I didn't believe in someone who I didn't think was the best person for the job. And that doesn't mean that I only have ever voted for someone I believe in 100% on every issue, because that's not the case, because there's no such person. The only person out there in the world that believes 100% on every single issue the exact same way you do is you. There's a bunch of other people that line up real, real close to you. And some of them have you know, occasionally are candidates. Some of them occasionally are Bernie Sanders or Dennis Kucinich or someone of the like, or Jesse Jackson, who line up pretty darn closely, or Jill Stein, with what you believe in. But none of them are perfect. None of them believe exactly what you believe. There's positions that Bernie Sanders has taken and will take in the future that I don't don't agree with 100%. And the same for any other candidate. So if there's not someone on the ballot that you believe in, then vote for someone who you do believe in. And that's what I did. That's what I've always done. In the presidential elections in my life, I've never voted for a major party candidate that was on the ballot because none of them represented very closely what I believed in. I've always written in someone that I did believe in or voted green or on some occasions 
didn't vote at all. So make the choice that suits you best on Tuesday, and whether that is someone who is on the ballot or someone who is not on the ballot, or whether that's no one at all. If there's no one out there that represents what you believe in and you choose to stay home, that is a sane and righteous choice if that's the way you feel and the way you believe. Don't let anybody else shame you into voting a specific way for some other reason than you going out to support what you believe in. So the next series of stories are about one of those groups and, you know, a group is just a collection of individuals that have gone out there, stood up for what they believed in, got beaten down for it, but continue to stand up for what they believe in, have gotten a good deal of support from a lot of places around the country including from Bernie Sanders. So this first piece is from medium.com, and this is written by Bernie Sanders. And it is called Stop the Dakota Access Pipeline. Dear President Obama, A right to respectfully but urgently request your intervention in the very troubling situation unfolding at and around the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. As you know, over the past day, scores of law enforcement officers dressed in riot gear and supported by military-style vehicles forcibly removed hundreds of peaceful protesters who had gathered to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline. There are disturbing reports of officers using sound cannons, pepper spray, and rubber bullets. The authorities have already arrested at least 140 people. The first priority must be protecting the safety of the peaceful protesters. That is why I urge you to direct the Department of Justice to send observers to protect the protesters' First Amendment rights to protest the pipeline. I also urge you to request that North Dakota Governor Jack Dalrymple remove the National Guard from the camp, as the military presence only threatens to inflame an already tense situation even more. Lastly, I urge you to direct the Army Corps of Engineers to stop construction within a mile between Highway 1806 and the Missouri River to help reduce tension. The second priority is suspending all federal permits for this project until the Army Corps of Engineers completes a full cultural and environmental review. To my mind, the Corps should have never approved this project on an expedited basis in the first place. If completed, the pipeline will transport nearly 20 million gallons of crude oil every day, potentially threatening dozens of bodies of water, including Lake Oahe on the Missouri River. Since the Missouri River provides drinking water for 10 states and 28 tribes, a major spill from this pipeline could threaten the drinking water of millions of people. That is a risk we simply cannot afford to take. The Dakota Access Pipeline would also be a huge blow. Maybe that's a huge. A huge blow to our fight against climate change. According to one report, burning the oil transported through the pipeline would produce carbon emissions equivalent to 21 million cars or 30 coal plants. If we have any hope of avoiding the worst consequences of climate change, we should not be building new oil pipelines that lock us into burning fossil fuels for generations to come. Rather, we should be building clean energy infrastructure to transform our energy system away from climate change causing fossil fuels and towards renewable sources of energy. 
Moreover, it is deeply distressing to me that the federal government is putting the profits of the oil industry ahead of the treaty and sovereign rights of Native American communities. I understand the Standing Rock Sioux have sued to stop the pipeline, citing the very serious environmental concerns, encroachment on culturally sensitive lands, and violations of tribal treaty rights to a meaningful consultative consultative role in the federal permitting process. To my mind, it is simply unacceptable to build a project like this in one of the poorest counties in the nation without the approval of the Native American residents who live there. Mr. President, you took a bold and principled stand against the Keystone Pipeline. I ask you to take a similar stand against the Dakota Access Pipeline. In the meantime, I urge you to take all appropriate measures to protect the safety of the Native American protesters and their supporters who have gathered peacefully to oppose the construction of the pipeline. And that was Bernie Sanders' letter to President Obama regarding the Dakota Access Pipeline. And this next piece on Standing Rock is from yesmagazine.org. And this is by Mark Trahant. This morning, politics is crowded out by injustice. Every preposterous and painful image from North Dakota is another reminder of injustice. The massive military-style police occupation of Standing Rock Treaty lands, the rush to protect the frantic construction schedule for the Dakota Access Pipeline, and the brutal law enforcement march against people who are fighting for the simple idea that water is life. I'm angry. How shall I say this without ranting? Tell stories. Last January, when a gang of gun-toting, constitution-misquoting, anti-government militia occupied the Malher National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon, the reaction from federal law enforcement was patience. Days went by. Oregon Governor Kate Brown urged the federal government to crack down on the radicals before more arrived. The lands involved were Paiute lands. Quote, oh, months ago, Jarvis Kennedy, a Burns Paiute tribal council member, asked, quote, what if it was a bunch of natives who went in there and took it? Well, now we know. And back in Oregon a few days ago, a jury found the Bundy gang not guilty. Stories to tell. Injustice. Since the beginning of the Standing Rock crisis, there has been a call for President Obama to get involved. After all, there is a clear federal issue. The Osseti-Sakowin camp is on treaty land now claimed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And President Obama has a direct emotional connection with this tribe and this place. Quote, I know that throughout history, the United States often didn't give the nation-to-nation relationship the respect that it deserved. So I promised when I ran to be president, who'd change that? When I ran to be a president, who'd change that? A president who honors our sacred trust and who respects your sovereignty and upholds treaty obligations, and who works with you in a spirit of true partnership and mutual, re- mutual respect to give our children the future they deserve. How could he have done that? Mutual respect could have, should have, started with a federal presence that made taking, made talking more important than acting. The action at Standing Rock is not over, but the federal government's absence is not productive. Indeed, if you listen to any politician, Democrat or Republican, you'll hear them talk about respect for the treaties. Of course, the Constitution says treaties, quote, shall be the supreme law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. 
The word shall is like a commandment. But if that's true, then how does any treaty tribe have less land than what's in the document? Legally, morally, a treaty trumps a congressional act or executive order. A treaty claim to the land is not preposterous. If the United States lived up to its own ideals, there would be no stolen water land and dams on the Missouri River, and the Army Corps of Engineers would have a long history of real negotiation with the tribes instead of pretend consultation. Then every tribe in the country has its own Standing Rock story. Often several stories. Vacant lumber mills that promised jobs but left behind toxic debris. Phosphate cleanup plants that were too expensive, so the waste is buried instead. Or 3 million gallons of heavy metal sludge released by the government into the Animus River, where water flowed into Navajo farms and communities. And I'll digress from the piece for a minute, because in my community, in Ringwood, New Jersey, in the northern end of town, There is a site that for many years in the mid-1900s, the Ford Motor Company dumped toxic waste, dumped paint sludge from its manufacturing, and left it there with agreement of the town at the time. And with agreement of the town in modern times to keep leaving it there, the town entered an agreement with Ford to keep the toxins there and to cover them up, build a recycling plant. And there are a group of citizens in town fighting against that agreement. And many of them are Native American. So so this is everywhere. This is not somewhere else. This is somewhere in a community near you. And I'll go back to the piece. There have been calls to get the presidential candidates involved, to visit, to see for themselves the love of the land, the water, and how this moment has brought Indian country together. Donald Trump wouldn't be much help. He's in the same boat as most of the politicians in North Dakota. They hope to profit from this pipeline project and a future where oil remains more important than water. Quote, Trump's financial disclosure forms show the Republican nominee has between $500,000 and $1 million invested in energy transfer partners, with a further $500,000 to $1 million holding in Phillips 66, which will have a 25% stake in the Dakota Access Project once completed. And Hillary Clinton? We know from the WikiLeaks that she was inclined to approve Keystone XL Pipeline, but then flipped because there was so much attention on her email server. It was a way to change the story, or so the campaign hoped. And I'm not sure, I haven't read the rest of this, but we know where Jill Stein has stood on this issue. And where she has stood at times is among the people standing up there for their rights. And Jill Stein spray-painted the blade of a bulldozer on that site. And she was arrested. A warrant was put out for her. And she was arrested on a charge. I I don't know what the charges were, so I won't even comment specifically on the charges that were made against her. But she and Ajamu Baraka both were on site with the people supporting them in their fight for their home and their water, and their resources. So then back to the story again. Election season is a terrible time to actually engage in public policy. Campaigns should be talking about issues and what they might do, but not when that decision is influenced by money, large voting blocks, and an intense election schedule. 
11 days out, a campaign is more worried about winning the election than anything else. Period. I'll be polite. The statement by Hillary Clinton on Standing Rock was awful. The second I read it, my heart dropped. I can see this being crafted at a table where folks weighed in from a variety of constituent groups, and the writing was designed to not offend. Quote, Secretary Clinton has been clear that she thinks that all voices should be heard and all views considered in federal infrastructure projects. Now, all of the parties involved, including the federal government, the pipeline company, and contractors, the state of North Dakota, and the tribes, need to find a path forward that serves the broadest public interest. As that happens, it's important that on the ground in North Dakota, everyone respects demonstrators' rights to protest peacefully and workers' rights to do their jobs safely. So, in the spirit of reconciliation, Energy Transfer Partners put out its own statement. Quote, All trespassers will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and removed from the land. There is a schedule to keep. Investors have been promised the pipeline will flow with oil soon. No matter what. Another story to tell. Injustice. So this article was originally published at the at Trahant Reports and was edited for its inclusion on the website yesmagazine.org. And once again, that was by Mark Trahant. And this piece from CommonDreams.org by Lauren McCauley. No longer able to sit on the sidelines and remain silent about the battle raging in North Dakota over indigenous rights to clean water and sacred land, Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton released a statement on Thursday about the Dakota Access Pipeline fight. And it says, quote, literally nothing. The statement was delivered via email to a handful of indigenous journalists and news outlets and was said to be in response to a letter that native leaders had sent to the former secretary of state asking for her help. As the indigenous water protectors and their allies have faced tanks, militarized police forces, mace and attack dogs as they've stood their ground in protest of the tar sands pipeline. Fed up about her months-long silence, indigenous youth from the Standing Rock Sioux and other tribes also demonstrated outside Clinton's campaign headquarters in Brooklyn, New York, on Thursday, asking for some sort of acknowledgement. But coming the same day that over 300 police officers in riot gear and armored vehicles brandishing pepper spray, percussion grenades, sound cannons, and non-lethal shotguns, according to observers, forcibly cleared hundreds of water protectors from the frontline camp recently reclaimed through eminent domain, and their response struck many as noncommittal and lacking appropriate outrage. The statement from Director of Coalition's Press, Zokitl, there's no way I'm pronouncing that right, it's X-O-C-H-I-T-L, Hinojosa, I have a slightly better chance of pronouncing that right, H-I-N-O-J-O-S-A, who oversees Hispanic black and women's media for the Clinton campaign, reads in full. We received a letter today from representatives of the tribes protesting the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. From the beginning of this campaign, Secretary Clinton has been clear that she thinks all voices should be heard and all views considered in federal infrastructure projects. Now, all of the parties involved, including the federal government, the pipeline company, and contractors, the state of North Dakota, and the tribes, need to find a path forward that serves the broadest public interest. 
As that happens, it is important that on the ground in North Dakota, everyone respects demonstrators' rights to protest peacefully and workers' rights to do their jobs safely. And yes, you didn't accidentally rewind the podcast. I intentionally read the statement again and probably will read portions of it even a third time um, as this was appearing in two different stories. But this particular story is about the statement itself. What a crock, said Ruth Hopkins, a Dakota Lakota Sioux writer for Indian Country Today Media Network. Hillary Clinton managed to make a statement about the Dakota pipeline that literally says nothing. Literally. 350.org co-founder Bill McKibben tweeted in response. Kind of a BS statement by the Clinton camp on the no DAPL. Frankly, wrote MSNBC host Joy Reid. The outrage taking place out there cries out for outrage. Others noted that the statement, quote, is the most Clinton thing of all times, as fairness and accuracy and reporting journalist Adam Johnson put it. In a lengthy Twitter thread, anonymous commenter, commentator at actual Flaticus breaks down what they say is the campaign's, quote, triangulation of the protest. I think rightfully people have asked and requested and demanded that Hillary Clinton take a stand of some sort on what's going on uh, at Standing Rock. And rightfully, they're outraged by the statement that she did make. Though I think most of us are not surprised. This is the part for me that stands out the most. All party, all of the parties involved, including the federal government, the pipeline company and contractors, the state of North Dakota and the tribes need to find a path forward that serves the broader public interest. In, in that statement by itself, that one sentence, the public interest has been demoted to the smallest, smallest piece of the puzzle. And the federal government, the pipeline company and contractors, and the state of North Dakota, all, all of course, players in this uh, risky game are all in my mind, in my reading, kind of highlighted. And the public, the public interest, the people are relegated to being called the tribes. That's disgusting. Saying, here are the people involved in this. Here are the people that need to come together and find a way forward. They are the federal government, the pipeline company, and contractors, the state of North Dakota, and the tribes. It's disgusting. But not new and not unusual. So I started the episode with Jill. I'm ending the episode with Bill. Bill McKibben, once again, a piece of his played a prominent role in my last episode, as one does this episode as well. This is from the New York Times.com. The Native Americans who have spent the last months in peaceful protest against an oil pipeline along the banks of the Missouri are standing up for tribal rights. They're also standing up for clean water, environmental justice, and a working climate. And it's time that everyone else joined in. 
The shocking images of the National Guard destroying teepees and sweat lodges and arresting elders this week reminds us that the battle over the Dakota Access Pipeline is part of the longest-running drama in American history. The U.S. Army versus Native Americans In the past, it's almost always ended horribly, and nothing we can do now will erase a history of massacres, stolen land, and broken treaties. But this time it can end differently. Those heroes on the Standing Rock Reservation, sometimes on horseback, have peacefully stood up to police dogs, pepper spray, and the bizarre-looking militarized tanks and SWAT teams that are the stuff of modern policing. Modern and old-fashioned both. The pictures of German shepherds attacking are all too reminiscent of photos from, say, Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. The courage of those protesters managed to move the White House enough that the government called a temporary halt to construction. But the forces that want it finished, Big Oil and its allies in parts of the labor movement, are strong enough that the respite may be temporary. In coming weeks, activists will respond to calls from the leaders at Standing Rock by gathering at the offices of banks funding the pipeline and at the offices of the Army Corps of Engineers for protest and civil disobedience. Two dozen big banks have lent money to the pipeline project, even though many of them have also adopted elaborate environmental codes. As for the Corps, that's the agency that helped expedite the approval of the pipeline and must still grant the final few permits. The vast movement of people across the country who mobilized to block fossil fuel projects like the Keystone Pipeline and Shell's plans to drill in the Arctic need to gather once more. This time, their message must be broader still. There are at least two grounds for demanding a full environmental review of this pipeline instead of the fast-track approvals it has received so far. The first is the obvious environmental racism of the whole project. Originally, the pipeline was supposed to cross the Missouri just north of Bismarck until people pointed out that a leak there would threaten the drinking water supply for North Dakota's second biggest city. The solution, in keeping with American history, was obvious. Make the crossing instead just above the Standing Rock Reservation, where the poverty rate is nearly three times the national average. This has been like watching the start of another Flint, Michigan, except with a chance to stop it. The second is that this is precisely the kind of project that climate science tells us can no longer be tolerated. In midsummer, the Obama administration promised that henceforth there would be a climate test for new projects before they could be approved. That promise was codified in the Democratic platform approved by Hillary Clinton's campaign, which says that there will be no federal approval for any projects that significantly exacerbates global warming. The review of the Dakota pipeline must take both cases into account. So far, the signs are not good. There has been no word from the White House about how long the current pause will last. Now the company building the pipeline has pushed the local authorities to remove protesters from land where construction has already desecrated indigenous burial sites, with law enforcement agents using tasers, batons, mace, and sound cannons. From the Clinton campaign, there's been simply an ugly silence, perhaps rooted in an unwillingness to cross major contributors like the Laborers International Union of North America, which has lashed out against the many other larger unions that oppose the project. But that silence won't make the issue go away. Sue protesters erected a teepee in her Brooklyn campaign office. If Mrs. Clinton is elected on November 8th, this will be the new president's first test on environmental and human rights. What's happening along the Missouri is of historic consequence. That message should reverberate not just on the lonely high plains, but in our biggest cities, too. 
Native Americans have carried the fight, but they deserve backup from everyone with a conscience. Other activists should join the protests at bank headquarters, Army Corps offices, and other sites of entrenched power. The Native Americans are the only people who have inhabited this continent in harmony with nature for centuries. Their traditional wisdom now chimes perfectly with the latest climate science. The only thing missing are the bodies of the rest of us joining in their protest. If we use them wisely, a fresh start is possible. And once again, that piece was by Bill McKibben. And that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. So come next Tuesday, Election Day, get out and vote. Or don't, if that's the choice you make. But, But make the choice in an informed way and vote for what you believe in. So going out tonight, we will hear Stolen Land by Bruce Coburn. Thanks for listening. Put them in a foreign system 